Welcome to the Millennial Belkin, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hui Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I'm joined by... I am Anya Crittenton, associate editor at The Tracking Board. And I am Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. And today we are talking about one of the most creative directors in Hollywood right now as we speak. He has a new movie out this weekend called Baby Driver. We're talking about... Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Oh, Edgar fancy. Wright. Edgar Wright. <laughs> um, he, uh, for those of you who may not be aware, Edgar Wright is the guy behind Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, not At World's End, that's the Pirates movie, The World's End, um, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, and most recently, Baby Driver. Now, Anya and I have both seen Baby Driver. HT has not, so we will not be spoiling anything for Baby Driver besides probably whatever's in the trailers. Thanks, guys. Um, and just that it's really good. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic, and I can't wait for you to see it because it's seeing... amazing. I want to see it a second time. I'm seeing it in three hours, so by the time this episode comes out, I will have seen it. Yes. Um, and so, basically, we're just going to go through, if you've listened to us in the past, we've talked about certain directors or TV shows, and basically just in a whole episode on them. So, like, our Tarantino episode, or... Spielberg. Spielberg episode. So this is our, our Edgar Wright episode. Mm-hmm. Now, Anya, you want to start us off with a particular conversation piece. What is that? So I just want to go around the table real quick and have us just name our favorite Edgar Wright project. Not necessarily that he's directed, but maybe something just he's worked on, but just your favorite piece of media that has Edgar Wright's name stamped on it in some capacity. It will most likely be one of his films because... <laughs> yeah, yeah. he hasn't done well a lot where he hasn't been also the director. Right? Yeah, did he work on Paul? I'm not sure. That I, I think his name was attached to He might it. have been a producer. A producer. I definitely know. I mean, that's def- it's like the, the weird fourth brother of the Three Cornetto flavor trilogy because it's right. both al- also Simon Pegg and, and Nick, Nick Frost, Frost mm-hmm. as like the two stars. And it's got, yeah. it's got that feel to it, but it's definitely not the same, like, same. It's not part of it. Yeah. It doesn't have no. the tightness or cohesion of the other three Cornetto, Cornetto trilogy movies either. Yeah. Yeah, so, Will, why don't you start, it off, start us off? What's oh, your okay. favorite Edgar Wright project? Um, so, uh, I'm not, I, I mean, I like all of his all of his works, but I think I'm going to have to go nope, with... No, pick one. Well, no, okay. I'm just saying, you know, a lot of people will pick Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz, but I think I'm actually going to have to go with Baby Driver as my favorite. Ooh. I know, I mean, like, you know, you I, I only saw it two days ago, but I really loved it. It was so good, and like... The plot's pretty simple, but that's okay because what he lacks with lacks up what he lacks with a complicated plot is amazing visuals and fantastic audio cues. You know, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, this is like an action musical because he times it to the music." And before I saw the movie, I was like, "Well, like, how, why do people keep saying this?" And then I saw the movie, and then I realized. Everything is like he basically took the like four like thirty tracks and scored the movie with these thirty tracks. Like there's hardly, if any, actual score. I'm not actually sure if there is any. Oh. It very reminds it very much reminds me of American Graffiti, um, in which George Lucas did this like you know movie about high schoolers in the '60s just kind of hanging out on their last day of summer vacation before people go back to but before people go back to school or college, and the whole 
movie is scored to 1962, like, top 40 hits. Um, and it's played diegetically through cars. And so it's very, like, wall-to-wall music. And this reminded – Baby Driver reminded me of that a lot. And I just loved – I, like, surprisingly loved Ansel Elgort's, uh, like, charisma. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, if you look at him, he's kind of bland white boy. He's kind of a potato. But he's got a lot to him, like – that you know peels back the layers, and he's he's got a lot of a lot of dy- dynamic acting there. And Lily James was great. John Hamm, terrifying. <laughs> Jamie Fox is great. Um, John Bernthal is also great. He's not in it as much as uh, this, like the marketing is. Um, Kevin Spacey's always always fun. So yeah, I think I'd have to go with Baby Driver, even though I love. I think my second favorite would be Scott Pilgrim. Um, yeah. Interesting. Cornell's really not even in your top two. I mean, they're still great movies. I saw Scott Pilgrim first before I saw See, it. and this is where the opinions come out, because oh. I think if the Cornetto Trilogy is not your top, you're wrong. Cornetto Trilogy is pretty much the magnum opus of Edgar Wright's filmography. And I think there's a specific one in the Cornetto Trilogy. As of right now, of course. That is the top. Okay, we'll go to you last, Sonia, because I know you have a lot I'm of like, opinions about this. So <laughs> She's ready. Opinions. She's, like, amping herself up. And please, I mean, let the record state, I love all three of the movies. Willoughby hates the Cornetto Trilogy, guys. <laughs> he is a Cornetto Trilogy anti. No, that is not yeah. what I am. I, so this I, is like, I love we're going to duke it out because Willoughby Dobbs is an enemy of Edgar Wright. Oh, okay. So I see. What, <laughs> I see. So this, this is some fake news bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, HT, what is your pick? All right. So my pick is a Cornetto Trilogy film. It is actually the first of the Cornetto Trilogy, uh, Shaun of the Dead. I... I think Shaun of the Dead was the first Edgar Wright film I have I saw. Um, I think I caught it on cable, cable actually, but um, I've seen it a couple times since then. And it has just such great rewatchability, and not just because of the charisma of the actors and how like fun of and subversive a plot it is of like the typical zombie movie. It has it has all the in, like the indicators of. Edgar Wright directed action. And there's a great video about this on YouTube. I'm sure you all know. I think it's in every frame of painting uh, video. Oh, about yeah. How, I rewatched that yes. this week because yeah. I knew we were doing this episode. Yeah, how, how, how Edgar Wright directs action. And he and basically... Comedy. And comedy. It was, it was comedy, right? I think it was more comedy. It was like he uses the situation and the shot as part of the joke in addition to just dialogue. He's very much a visual editor. He is definitely a visual director and comedian in a sense and it's it's done so well in Shaun of the Dead um and I just I enjoy it every time I watch it it's so fun Simon Pegg is hilarious as is Nick Frost and um the whole cast is great they all they're all like returning Edgar Wright universe um cast members so it's really fun to see them in their first uh film and when they're all really comfortable with each other it's fun to see martin freeman show up in these movies i know I because he's just kind of like hey guys <laughs> and then in like the third movie he finally has like a real role yeah but it's just kind of like oh like he's a big star like they're all big stars now mainly mm-hmm. because of these movies and also because yeah. of other works so it's just fun to kind of see like martin freeman and especially in Shaun of the dead where he doesn't i don't even think he has any lines he doesn't he's on the other team right but they like cross paths yes. I love that moment that's yes. a great moment where they're like hey what's up <laughs> It's such a funny moment. But but he's just kind of chilling. He's like, hey guys. (laughs) Little baby Martin Freeman. It's really fun seeing his star rise through the movies. Like, Mm -hmm. as as his career has gone along, his star has definitely risen as the Edgar Wright Cornetto trilogy films have gone on. And um, 
Shaun of the Dead is just a nice return to the beginning, and it still really holds up as my favorite Edgar Wright film. It's a good one. I've not yet seen Baby Driver, so I don't know how that holds up within his whole um, repertoire. But Baby Driver's up there, but I don't think it's beaten some of his other films yet. All right, all right. Let's all note this is all subjective. This is all subjective. <laughs> Let's what all know that film Willie Dobbs is an Edgar Wright hater. <laughs> <laughs> I love Baby Driver, so I hate Edgar Wright. But... <laughs> and then it's Willie's favorite project. Edgar Wright movie. <laughs> Oh, that's sad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anya, what is your favorite Edgar Wright project? All right. So I really love Edgar Wright, as we all know, um, unlike Willoughby. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is is false messaging. (laughs) This is false messaging. Willoughby really loved Edgar Wright. He is a good guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw the Cornetto trilogy in order. Um, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, uh, the world's world. end the world's end yeah world's <laughs> like end. i do mess that up sometimes i'm yeah. like at world's end i when i, when, um, I went to re- i went to rewatch the world's end this week and it, into amazon i googled or like I, I searched at world's end and then it came pirates and i was like fuck damn it it's not world's end and i went back yeah um and so i really love baby driver i think it's brilliant i think it's definitely like in the top three that he's done um but my thing is that, and I got into a bit of a tiff about this earlier this week, about what the best Cornetto trilogy movie is. Ooh. And so this is where I differ with HT, and that I think the best trilogy movie is Hot Fuzz. Interesting. Far and away, I think it's his best film to date. I actually kind of agree with that. Shaun of the <laughs> Dead Shaun of the Dead is my personal favorite film, but yeah. I can see okay. why Hot Fuzz is definitely a superior film. I definitely okay. I, I definitely see the merits to Hot Fuzz, and I love it. Yeah, no, I, I think Hot Fuzz is a better film in general. But yeah, it's my favorite. personal favorite, and I think it's his best. So, And I think it's because, as we've discussed, as like our little perfect film trio as a narrative person, I think Hot Fuzz has the best narrative mm-hmm. of any of his films so far. Um... And I just think Hot Fuzz is extremely clever, and I think it goes in unexpected places, and, think, and it just it cracks me up. It is hysterical. I think if we want to continue this, the metaphor. I think, or not metaphor. The the comparison. The comparisons. I think, Ht, you like Shaun of the Dead because there's a lot of char- the characters. 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 I love and characters. then I like Baby Driver because it's mostly a visual and audio movie. Exactly. So we all fit perfectly into our little like <laughs> I love it. trio spots. <laughs> because yeah, Shaun of the Dead is such a simple premise so it's mostly about the characters and just with the backdrop of zombies whereas Hot mm-hmm. Fuzz is very much a narrative piece. Um, still with great characters. Right. Local government but... conspiracies. I love it. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Timothy Dalton though. He's so good oh, in I that movie. I love Timothy Dalton. I want him to be in everything. I wish he was in more. I wish he was in everything. Like he, he was great when he showed up on Chuck. He was great when he shows up as like I don't know. I can't remember recently he was on other things. Oh, he's in um, Penny Dreadful, and I really liked his his like character on Penny Dreadful. Yeah. Like he's always a great presence, and like even his Bond movies have been kind of fun. I haven't seen any of his Bond movies, you know, but I, I enjoyed too, I so. enjoyed him in Chuck. Yeah. Yeah, he's good in Chuck. He's good in Penny Dreadful. He's great in Hot Fuzz. <gasps> oh. His role in Toy Story 3 gets oh, me every time. Yes. I forgot about that. He's the yes. Hedgehog Shakespearean actor. Oh, oh my god. god. <laughs> oh my god, no. He's hysterical in Toy Story 3. I forgot about that. I hope he's in Toy Story 4. Yeah. I, mean, I hope he is, too. I mean, Timothy I'm, Dalton is is underrated. I'm still a little bit 
not upset. I'm a little bit torn about the fact that there is a Toy Story 4. No, but... don't say that, HT, because as a rom-com person, you should be elated. But... I know, I know it's a perfect... I know, such a perfect... I know, nope. Yeah, I know, it's, it's, but it's, the thing it's is, don't, I don't think watch, of like, it. The, the Toy Story like horror movie things that they show every year. Mm-hmm. But they're so cute. Yeah, but like, I still. But why does? But the thing is, those don't those don't take away from the perfection of the trilogy. It's just like added material. Like the trilogy still exists as a solid unit. Yeah. And the extra stuff is just like yeah, fun stuff to enjoy. That's Toy Story true. Four is gonna be a rom com between Woody and Bo Peep. Oh, yeah, Bo Peep's like, coming back. What more do you need? Uh, and it's Rashida Jones! That's true. Uh, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be Woody and Bo Peep forever. Just divorce from the emotional context of Andy as a character who is their, you know, their, the root of their love and then end up being a coming of age and letting go. It was so beautifully done. And but that's why the that toy is not part of death. the trilogy. Like, the trilogy itself... It, like I said, a self-contained. Yes, I agree. and the fourth movie is just like the toys do exist after Andy. No, like no. their lives don't stop. See, so the problem is I don't mind, but the fourth movie I feel will have an impact. Wrong com. I know, I know, Anya. I can't I'm help very but have reservations. About Story four. Listen, as someone who is listen as someone who was devastated when they announced that Bo Peep was not in Toy Story 3 like when they say like oh what happened to Bo Peep and she's gone like I was so upset <laughs> and so the fact that they announced Toy Story 4 as being Bo Peep and Woody Woody is my favorite character Toy Story 2 is my favorite Toy Story movie I'm like so ready for Toy Story 4 because like just more Woody alright I understand I have a lot of feelings See, about Woody you guys like, like the characters in the trash heap I have also accepted death and I'm okay with not seeing a fourth Toy Story movie and ready to move on. Actually, no, I'm going right, to be in the, well, be in the to theater love. Thursday night at 7 p.m. to see that movie. I will so see don't it, worry. too, in the theater. More for okay. me to love and be optimistic about, and you cynics can just sit over there in the corner. Okay, I am not cynical. I bawled at the very beginning when they did the video montage of Andy growing up with his toys because that was my life. I'm not a cynic. I'm a skeptic. There's a difference. Because I cry at everything. All right. Okay, I'm back, to, back, <laughs> back to Edgar Ray. That was our Toy Story um, tangent. Tangent. Um, but yeah, so mine is Hot Fuzz. I think it's his best and my most enjoyable Edgar Wright film. You know, I've actually only seen Hot Fuzz once, so I do want to rewatch it and see how it holds up personally for me. I know it's the best film, but it's just like... I feel like Shaun of the Dead will still probably be your personal favorite, just like we talked about character. And Shaun of the Dead is so good. It is. I love it. Oh, there's just so many great moments. The little little montages, little quick montages whenever they're like, okay, we're going to make this, we're going to make this plan. We're going to go back to the pub. We're going to share a pint. I love every time they do that. Oh, okay. And I think, I think that's a good way to transition into what we love about Edgar Wright movies. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a lot about what we love about his particular movies, but you know, he has a very distinct visual style. He doesn't shoot things like still his camera, the camera moves a, a lot. The editing is very quick cut. He, he shoots a lot of footage. So that way he has things to cut to a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of his transitions are like, not even like they're not traditional traditions, transitions. Tra- traditional transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so Okay, why don't we go around and, and talk about what we what we love about Edgar Wright's like directing style and visual style? Basically, 
all you said, Willoughby. Yeah. He has a very kinetic feel to his camera, and his camera is basically a character in the film as much as the other characters are, which is why it's so visually stimulating, but not overstimulating. Yeah. Um, he yes. knows where to where to like limit how much his camera moves. It's done in service of the story rather than just to distract the audience, which is a very it's a very hard it's a harder line to tread than you would think. Line to tread. Line to walk. <laughs> that was a really messed up like <laughs> allegory <right> there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to add something to this as well, because I think visually he's great. But I think what my favorite thing about Edgar Wright is, is that he's a very earnest director, Mm. but not overbearingly so. Um, And he's also, he doesn't come across as kind of like one of those, like, white film bro directors who's very on their high horse about the type of movies they like or that they make. Oh, you mean, what's his face from what? What's his face? Damien Chazelle? I feel like Damien Chazelle is, is who you're describing. I mean, he's definitely in that category. Just in the in the general category yeah. that yeah. <laughs> but, describes. <laughs> I think you can really tell that Edgar Wright loves movies, and he loves making movies, and it really comes across in a very genuine way in his films. Um, when I saw Baby Driver at South By, he came out afterwards and talked about the film, and I think it was really bad that kind of like really drove it home for me and just like hearing him talk about baby driver and hearing him talk about his filmmaking process and the things that he tries to do in all his films and just his passion for the films. And you just can't help like he's infectious. Like his enthusiasm is infectious. Yeah. In his movies. He was, he showed the first five minutes at awesome con a couple of weeks ago. And not only did showing that the first five minutes get me super hyped to see the film, but also he talked about, like this is probably the same things he talked about at South by, which is like how he made the movie, who he talked to to make the movie. Like he talked to George Miller uh-huh. to like help direct the th- like he like helped gave him advice on how to shoot like car action scenes. And like he just he like he clearly had like has so much insp- he's inspired by so many great like movies and directors um, of old and like taking that what he's inspired by and making something new out of it. It's not just a rehash of like older Tarantino films or older like Spielberg films or indie director films or like alien or, um, Walter Hill, I guess was his major inspiration for, uh, Walter Hill's the driver was a Mm -hmm. big inspiration for baby driver. Mm -hmm. Um, but he doesn't just do like a, a, a veritable remake of it. He takes, he he does a lot of homages to other things, mm-hmm. but he always makes it makes it fresh and innovative and his own thing. Yeah, he's been really excited about. You can tell this is his passion project because he's been making the rounds and talking about all the influences that have that of other movie, movies on this film. And um, we talk a lot about how nostalgia is kind of a burden on a lot of films today, and how a lot of blockbusters tend to. Um, appeal to audiences by referencing or um, throwing back to a more well-known famous film or classic genre. And sometimes they do it well, sometimes they don't. And But the thing is, like, they tend to rely on that genre a little too much. Yeah. Whereas here in Baby Driver, I haven't seen it yet, but it doesn't feel like it's that way. It feels definitely like a love letter to these classic films, but at the same time doing something new out of it. What I can definitely tell, it's not just a mindless action movie. It has a lot of heart to it. It has a lot of thought to it. It cares about its characters. Mm-hmm. It cares about the villains. And it cares about, especially cares about Baby Driver, 
Baby and Lily James's character Deborah. Um, they're the main focus of the film, and it always seems it always goes back. It never loses itself, which mm-hmm. I really like because in an action movie, it's really easy to lose the characters and to lose the sense of what the movie's about. And with Baby Driver and all of Edgar Wright's films, Edgar Wright's films have almost all been action films. Yeah. Um, Shaun of the Dead probably has the least action. Hot Fuzz probably has the most... No, I'd say maybe The World's End does. World's End has a lot of action. Yeah, so does of, Scott Pilgrim, Scott too. Pilgrim does, too. Like His movies have a lot of action in them, but I feel like even with a character even with a proper like a, a property that isn't his own like Scott Pilgrim he still makes it he makes you care about the characters and cares about what's happening to them and even though Scott Pilgrim can be a bit of an asshole yeah like a bit a, a bit a lot um, a lot a lot it, you know even a lot of Simon a lot of what Simon Pegg is in like especially in um the world's end is he's a bit of an asshole because he's mm-hmm. dragging his friends out mm-hmm. to do things they don't want to do you know like you still kind of you care about these people and you mm-hmm. care about what they're going through and i feel like he conveys that so well with his filmmaking yeah and i think that's the thing is that he cares like yeah. i said and like his caring makes us care just because he does it so well um you know i really appreciate it no spoilers of course but there is like a de- there's a deaf character in baby driver mm-hmm. Um, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but, like, my mom's deaf, so seeing deaf characters always um, is really special for me. Um, and he talked about it at South by Southwest, and I guess, like, they had auditioned people who weren't deaf. And eventually Edgar Wright was like, like, no, we need someone who is deaf. Like, why shouldn't they play this role? Like, it's a deaf character. A deaf actor should play the role. Like, they're just as capable as any other actor. Yeah. Um, and they, the actor they got to play this character is really good. He's actually a stand-up comedian. Really? Um, interesting. Yeah. And yeah, he, and you're right, was, was talking about it. He was great. I thought he was, yeah. like, he, he was definitely one of the emotional core of the, part of the emotional core of the movie. Yeah. And just, like, hearing Edgar talk about it and how much he wanted to, like, respect that and, like, you know, do it in a genuine way that doesn't just, like... It's not a gimmick. Cast it as it's a, not a gimmick. Yeah, it's not at it's all. It's not a throwaway. It's part of the movie. Um, yeah. And I think that's another thing about Edgar Wright movies um, is that everything is so tightly edited and tightly done that everything has a point to it. Mm-hmm. If you go back and watch Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, like all of his movies, he's only he's only done like five features. But like if you go back and watch them all, there's so many layers to them mm-hmm. because of the quick editing. Like you see more things each time you watch the movie. Like, I rewatched mm-hmm. Hot Fuzz, and I was like, there's so much here that I don't remember, I didn't remember. Like, right. And it's been a while, but since, but like, and I've poured over, I've watched Scott Pilgrim so many times since I've seen it, that, you know, because there's so many visual references to video games mm-hmm. and whatnot, and I think at this point, I've, I'm still seeing new things. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Like, his yeah. movies have, there's so much packed into them. Scott Pilgrim is one that you would think would be gimmicky yeah. because it's based off of a graphic novel about a like video character, games. yeah, about video games essentially, about a yeah. character who can use like his whose powers are basically he can do video what video game characters. Can yeah, do. it's essentially like it's it's a weird thing where it's like yeah, it's a it's a video game movie based on a comic book that's also like based on video games. What do you guys think of? I think like this is one of the problems that I've encountered with Edgar Wright. Um, is the ending of Scott Pilgrim. So 
what yes. do you think of that ending in terms of like it diverging from the comics and mm-hmm. giving basically having Scott you know be rewarded with his with his travel with his struggles by you know getting together with Ramona Flowers essentially and yeah I that's definitely something that I don't really like I think Scott Pilgrim is my least favorite of his films mm. um, and I think it's less to do with him necessarily although the ending is him and I don't like it and I think more just to do for me with the source material mm-hmm. and that Scott Pilgrim as a graphic novel does not necessarily appeal to me as much um as Edgar Wright's own original ideas mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. but yeah I definitely have a problem with that and I think you see that not as much in his other films but like you know his films are very male centric. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I don't think that he writes like bad female characters by any means, I think there are some really great female characters in his films. Um, I noticed it with Baby Driver in that like Lily James is really great, but I thought there was more room mm-hmm. for her character to just do. Like I feel like there was just yeah. like there was yeah. almost like he got there a little bit. Like Deborah is great. And she has agency, but, like, I felt like there was just, he could have taken, like, a couple steps more yeah, with I her. Yeah, def- I definitely agree. When I saw the movie, I feel like the one flaw was that Deborah could have had more screen time and more 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 stuff to do. Um, yeah. And, and it, it kind of, it, it's, I'm, like, trying to see if, how I can figure out, like, is it is it a problem, like, like a, is it is this part of the overarching problem of female representation in movies or is this like it's it is baby story more so than both of them but it is but that's also something in edgar wright's films that i feel like it's the problem with him i i don't know you call it a problem but it's definitely something that you can make note of because he likes to focus on like the underdog uh male character who isn't really part of society for example who has some sort of kind of messed up in some way um and or they're incredibly part of this the pro the the system like hot fuzz in Edgar, uh Simon yep. Pegg's character right is but but he's he's part of the establishment and then thrown into the countryside mm-hmm. and he's kind of a fish out of water Still, he's like an outsider in, yeah. in some way an outsider in some way because of either like their circumstances or their personality um and he tends to like i think he is kind of a surrogate character for him. That's that's the character that he knows best to write. Um, and he doesn't, yeah, like Anya said, he doesn't write bad female characters, but there is definitely a dearth of them. There aren't many. Um, I think the best female character that I can remember from his films is probably, um, oh, uh, in the the World's End. Um, Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike's oh, character. Yeah. She was really good. Yeah, um, she's she good. Um, but yeah, I feel like they're always written well, but they also, a lot of times, feel like they're also in service of the male characters. That's a problem, like, a yeah. lot of them are love interests, or, like, an ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. or something in relation to that. Like, and I think it's the worst in Scott Pilgrim. Um, especially, oh, by far. Like, yes. if you think about it, there's Stacy Pilgrim, his sister, there's Julie, which is, I think she's an ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Kim, who's an ex-girlfriend. There's Knives, who is a girlfriend turned ex-girlfriend. There's Ramona Flowers, there's literal of girl of his dreams. Yeah, a lot of female characters in that. A lot movie. of female but characters, again, but again, that's the source material. Pilgrim. Yes, exactly. and that's part of the source material. Yeah. Yeah, but also Edgar Wright doesn't really do their those characters much like service yeah. either. And I will say to go back to the original question about the ending of Scott Pilgrim, mm-hmm. I will say that it's a little. I'm not comfortable with it just because i've read the original source 
and I like the the ending for that better. Yeah. Um, because and, it ends yeah. in Scott not getting with Ramona, Ramona right. right? He he doesn't get with anyone. I don't know. I'm assuming. Or does he get with knives? I don't believe he gets with anybody. Yeah. Um, and I think that he shouldn't be a Scott. Scott's an asshole. Scott's an asshole, and he is. That's and Michael Sarah does a really good job of playing an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's the thing is, I don't think it's, I think Scott Pilgrim is a well-made film. It's just sort of like with the, with the source material and, um, the problematic issues of like, it's very much in, in service for male geeks. Mm -hmm. And that's like, there's like a, there's like a a primal instinct in me to like the movie more because it like, it hits me hard, but then I have to, I have to like come back, check my privilege and realize there's a lot of problematic aspects to this film. Mm Mm-hmm and realize it but also like another part of me is like i wanted to see the video games so here's a question that i have for you guys so we all obviously really like edgar wright he's never been you know to use the overused term of like a problematic director mm-hmm. because you know he his female characters are for the most part good if not as good as they could be yeah. um his films are predominantly white as well um and i'm trying to think of examples but i also think predominantly straight in terms Um, of relation i'm as far as i know the only gay characters in his line of work were in scott pilgrim yes um wallace yeah wallace and who's like like the best character i love him and wallace and his boyfriends yeah yeah he turned the characters yeah i don't yeah i'm trying to remember if in the world's end i i feel like it there might have been in the world then, but maybe not. Definitely not. So here's my class. here's my question: is so like you know it's you know predominantly straight white males, mm-hmm. um, and his movies are all really good, really clever, really unique. He's a very fresh voice, which we all really love. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is some room for I don't know if I want to say responsibility, but for him to include be more inclusive in his films, have maybe a female protagonist, have more people of color, or do you think um, that he should just kind of stay in his lane and those stories should be told by other people. Like, how... I, I think he can definitely improve. And um, like we've seen before, he doesn't have a problem writing female characters. Like, it does. It, I don't think he doesn't know how. Um, so I would really enjoy, for example, a female-led Edgar Wright film. That yeah. actually sounds Same. like a great idea. Right? Yeah. I think it's just that with him, he writes, like H.T. said earlier, he writes surrogate main characters for him like for him like basically like almost like self inserts Mm -hmm. and i feel like he does a good job with that and he he's definitely i would definitely say that none of his movies have like problematic like i mean like like it's just there's less representation than you than than ideally Mm -hmm. and i think that i think if he like wanted to make a film with where the main character or even the whole main cast wasn't fully white, straight, and male, I think he could do it. Mm-hmm. I think he would probably need a co-writer. I agree with that. Because, like, a lot of his movies, Baby Driver is the only is the first movie of his directed and written just by him. Um, in the Cornetto Trilogy movies and Scott Pilgrim, he's had a co-writer or a couple co-writers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be interested to see what he does with co-writers of color and women. I agree. And I think that that could be 
an incredible combination. Yeah. I think even though he's already pretty established as a fresh and distinct director, he still has room to grow as a director. He's only made, what, six films? Fifth? Oh, six. Yeah, Fistful of Fingers is his first Yeah, Fistful of Fingers. So I think, like, he definitely has room to grow, and he has, you know, plenty of his career ahead of him. And um, I can... I definitely would look forward to seeing how he um, improves and grows as a director, um, not only creatively, but also in terms of representation. And I think that's also part of the creative process as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I have another question for you guys. I have questions. Oh. I want to hear all your thoughts. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, a lot of times we're having conversations these days about, like, how franchises are too much in Hollywood and we're not getting a lot of original films. And Edgar Wright has been one of those kind of reliable original filmmakers and that most of his films are entirely original. They're not based on anything. Um, or if they are, they're just like homages to like other genres Mm -hmm. that he then puts an original twist on. Um, he was of course, as we all know, almost in the Marvel universe. So what do you guys think about him kind of as an original voice and like this idea that original films do still exist and are still successful and, whether or not you do want to see him in a franchise one day or if you like him on the path of original films. I like him on the path for original films uh, just because with the controversy of the Han Solo movie and seeing the fallout from that and the fallout from his stint as uh, the director of Ant-Man, I, I like seeing... I mean, I like the idea of having directors with their own style and vision come in and do franchises. We've seen that happen. We've seen it work. We've seen it not work. We talked about this last week. Um, But I also don't want creators to be stifled. I think that's a good good word for it. I think Edgar Wright has established himself as a distinct enough director and um, a well-known enough director that he doesn't have to go to a franchise to... um, to get better opportunities to make original films. I yeah. think he's already doing pretty well on his own right now. And it makes me really excited when I see an Edgar Wright film that kind of interrupts the flow, like the stream of just franchises and superhero films and sequels. Yeah, and, um, he, and he was saying, he was on a podcast recently, and he was talking about how basically to sum up the Marvel issue was that he wanted to do a Marvel movie, but Marvel didn't want to make an Edgar Wright film. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sums it up pretty well, that, he, that it, what he was going to do was not going to be wholly his. Mm-hmm. And I think that he, he wants that. And I don't blame him, and I don't blame Marvel. Yeah. You know, like they, and we talked about this last year, you know, these last week, these studios want, a, they have an expectation of what they want. And sometimes the directors get in line and sometimes they don't. And as we've seen with the Han Solo directors, they did not get in line and they got kicked off. And same thing for Edgar Wright, but he 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 and Marvel um, parted ways a lot earlier on. And I think for the better, because I liked Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. I thought it did well. I thought the best parts were Paul Rudd and like there were a lot of issues with it, but I also thought it was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if we got... I don't want to say watered down, but just a stifled Edgar Wright. It could have been like, oh, it could be better. Oh, it could be, you know, we'd be comparing it to his other films. Right. And absolutely. I think that that would be, it would be like a blip on the radar. And mm-hmm. I think the, the, probably the most we get we get to that is Scott Pilgrim, because it is part of a, 
uh, an existing property, and you can see where his his own part clashes with the other part. Although I th- I feel like for the most part Scott Pilgrim is pretty in tone with his style. Yeah. Um, but you know you could definitely tell that the Cornetto trilogy and Baby Driver are it's their own things, um, and not hindered. By anything else? By, like, existing? By a greater vision. By a greater vision? Yeah. yeah. It's just his own creative And, like, vision. even we, we, we call the the three films he did with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost the Three Cornetto Flavor Trilogy because they're, not because they're sequels or anything, but just because he has, he put the ice cream in each movie. Yeah, they're all different films, which is why it's so fun. And it, has, it just has, like, one unifying factor, which is the ice cream and the characters. Yeah, the, the, well, the, the actors, the, the actors mm-hmm. and the and like and just his style overall mm-hmm. but that's his styles his same styles in baby driver um and everything so yeah. yeah i think he's a really exciting director i don't want to to herald him as like the next coming of the great directors like you know as here. if he's like hinging on if that's, as if it's only hinging on him i've seen a couple articles that say like Edgar Wright has saved the summer movie season. Like, there are a lot of other good movies out right now, too. Yeah. I just saw The Beguiled yesterday, a great film by Sofia Coppola. Why does it have to depend on just Edgar Wright, another I was white male say, director? Like, and, yeah, and, and I was going to say, if you look at, um, like, right now the summer movie season, it got off to kind of a really mediocre start, mm-hmm. except for Wonder Woman. That was, like, the only good film in the early summer movie season. Mm-hmm. And now, coming out, you have... Uh, Baby Driver, you have The Beguiled, you have The Big Sick. Mm-hmm. We should just have more original B films, apparently. Yeah, and then there's um, on Netflix, and then there's um, War for the Planet of the Apes, which I'm super excited yeah, for. Spider-Man Homecoming, which, even though it's a part of a bigger franchise, yeah. does look very, like, by itself original. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, and that. it's gotten good reviews, and, like, you can still have these good films like Planet of the Apes and Spider-Man that are part of franchises, but, like, it's really exciting for me to see movies that aren't at all in franchises oh, yeah. no, that definitely. are original and fresh and definitely. really kind of like pumping some new blood into the summer movie season mm-hmm. and, and I think it's really exciting to see all that. And I know you're not super excited for Christopher Nolan but Dunkirk is coming out and that he, he's you know an original filmmaker even though it's about a, about a thing that already ha- that did I'm happen. I'm quite excited for Dunkirk after seeing the IMAX preview for Ooh, it. Did you see the IMAX preview? The IMAX preview is intense. It was maybe the most intense IMAX preview I've ever did like, you, well, experienced. What did you see? What was it? The it first was, eight minutes? It was actually, yeah, it was like a, one scene. It was like a ten-minute scene, and it was just like this ticking uh, noise that was happening throughout the entire time, sort of a, akin to, um, I don't know if it was atonement, but it was a very, it was very... Um, kind of like what's in the trailer right yeah it's There's like in the trailers are ticking and then like it slowly builds as like these plane noises are um building throughout the thing and then it's just like this one very visceral like experience of seeing these people on the boat and in the in the sky in their planes and it's just it's the it feels very um present like in that scene mm-hmm. so i definitely think that dunkirk is a movie to see in imax but also <laughs> prepare yourself because it's just like it was it was 10 minutes and it was almost too much for me i was just like yeah. oh god that's kind of when i saw baby driver we saw it on the system the awesome con like main stage mm-hmm. like theater system whatever they had mm-hmm. and the sound was incredible mm-hmm. and like you you kind of couldn't hear the dialogue super clearly but like yeah. everything else the music the revving of the engines that yeah. like got that, like you felt the rumble in yeah. your seats so and that got like reverberate through your bones yeah definitely. so i think i think I'm excited for Dunkirk. Yeah. As an original film. Yeah. 
I definitely think that I'm excited for Edgar Wright and whatever the slew of other original directors that, you know, are around him and maybe will follow him, um, hopefully. Because I think that the success of Baby Driver has surprised some people. It made a lot. It was a I mean, big... he hasn't. his movies haven't actually made a lot of money. No, they haven't. But they've always been critical hits. I think this one was, like, a commercial hit, too. I saw some articles saying that this was... Um, Definitely his biggest opening. I think, I think it was, yeah. So. Scott, Scott Pilgrim was historically a flop. Was it? Or it didn't. It was. It was his best opening, but it didn't. Like it opened a little over ten million, which yeah. was his best to date. Like the Cornetto trilogy did not open high at all. Mm-hmm. I think the um, mostly because they were though. big in England. Yeah. Um, but Scott Pilgrim was his highest opening to date before Baby Driver. But like overall, Scott Pilgrim was a flop. Yeah, because it didn't make the money. I don't think it made the budget back. It was quite um, big budget, I think. Yeah. yeah. It was also a very niche film. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know it was part of something. I, like, I didn't even realize it was like a... That's a, Well, that's the thing is I didn't even realize it was part of comic, a, a comic book. Yeah. I have a fun story it. about Scott Pilgrim, though. Um, because when it came out, I was, like, definitely, you know, part of a nerdy group in high school and stuff. And we would go to all the big movies, like, opening weekend, and we'd all dress up. So, like, Aww. Iron Man 3... We all dressed up, like, I went as Pepper, and one of my friends, Matt, went as uh, Tony Stark, and we would all dress up for all these films, and for Scott Pilgrim, we literally had the entire cast, not, like, the ca- like the actual cast, but, like, we, all, we had every character represented in our huge group. We had all the exes, we had Scott, we had Ramona, we had Knives, we had Wallace, we had everyone. I was, um, I was Mae Whitman's character, what's that X? Oh, uh... I know! Yeah, she's she the fourth for- one, right? Yeah. I think so, yeah. I'm forgetting her name. I can't remember her name. I forget her name, too. But I was that ex. Roxy. Roxy. Oh, yeah. So I was Roxy um, for the night and stuff, and we, we took all these photos, and we had this big group photo of everyone, and we posted it on social media, and Edgar Wright noticed, <gasps> and he, he told us it was he told us it was great. Oh, that's oh amazing. God. And he really liked did that. Did he, like, so. he, like, reply on Twitter to it? Or, mm-hmm. or nice. like, retweet it or something. Oh, that's so cool. That's super cool. Yeah, it's funny how it's my least favorite Edgar Wright film, but, like, <laughs> the big story with them. But He's active it on was really when it comes to, like, people liking you. It was really exciting. That is really exciting. Ah, Anya. Yeah. That's cool. So. Uh, I think that's a good place to. Yeah, I think that's a good way <laughs> to wrap up our discussion on Edgar Wright. Uh, we're excited about his future films and hope for uh, more representation and diversity to come. So let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. So, Anya, why don't you go first? <laughs> All right. Mine probably would be The Beguiled, but I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to see it either. T- I'm either going to see it today or tomorrow. Did I see it before you? You did. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I've been out of town, okay, so okay. that's my excuse. That makes sense. Um, so I really like is just a quick shout out to really like to weddings because I was out of town for my cousin's wedding yesterday or Friday. So congrats to my cousin. Wish her all the best in the future. Yay. Um, but my actual really like is trying to do more reading and more and more, so much more reading because falling off that bandwagon a bit. I am currently reading a book called The Pixar Touch, The Making of a Company by David Price, which is basically just a history of Pixar. Um, so very basic, but it's really informative. It's really engaging in the way it's written. I actually, surprisingly enough, don't know a lot about the details about Pixar's founding. I can tell you everything about Disney, 
But Pixar, other than like Steve Jobs owned it for a while, John Lasseter had been there since the beginning, Disney bought it. I don't know a lot about all the intricate details and every single step that Pixar took. Um, like learning about their relationship with George Lucas when Pixar was part of Lucasfilm was really interesting, especially the way that George Lucas thought Pixar had no future and he didn't encourage them to try their own projects. That's super ironic. Yeah, no, George Lucas was not, he did not, um, he wanted Pixar to basically, like, work on the things he wanted them to work on for his films and, like, live action. Yeah. And he thought that computer animation had no future. Huh. Um, yeah. George. I know, George. George, the most successful thing he did in the 2000s was the Clone Wars. <laughs> George. So, it's very fascinating. Um, I'm still reading it. Uh, they haven't even been bought by Disney yet where I am, but it's just a really fascinating book about a company that I love and it feels so good to be reading again. Like it's such a great feeling. And I think what's really struck me in this book, especially, and it's kind of given me some self-reflection and stuff is that so much of success in life is not entirely based on hard work. There's so much of success that goes with just luck and being in the right place at the right time and just happening happening to make a certain connection. Like, Pixar started because two people who had no idea who each other were, you know, randomly joined up, and this multimillionaire just happened to have some random hobby interest in computer animation, and he just happened to start this company that eventually morphed into Pixar in a weird way. So, you know, it's just given me a lot to think about just in terms of, like, success in life and that, like... A lot of it is just luck and happenstance. And the connections um, you make with the people yeah. you love. Aww. Aww. <laughs> so, The Pixar Touch. Um, it's a book I'm very much enjoying at the moment. So, Awesome. Thanks, Anya. Uh, Willoughby, what is your really like for this week? Um, I've been reading a book also called Good Omens by oh. Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. I'm about a third of the way through. Um, I basically picked it up because I knew I'd be having a lot of reading time over the last week of Safe Track. Um, shut down, <laughs> shut down part of the Metro Red Line here in DC. So I had to take a shuttle bus from where I live to the most open, the first open station, which was about a 30-minute bus drive. So I was like, I have like, okay, I now have a 90-minute commute. In the morning, in the afternoons, so I decided I'm gonna read. So I've been reading uh, Good Omens. I really love it. Um, it's really, it's really funny. Um, I love the whole, like, co- like God versus, or not God, but like you know, good versus evil, like angels and demons and all that stuff coming together and be like subversion. It's very British. It is very. It is very, so like, British. So, like American God, like Neil Gaiman is a British writer, but like. And, like, American Gods is the first full novel I had read of him, and it was very easy to read, but Good Omens, good God. Oh, my God. I was like, do I have to Google these things? Like, what's <laughs> happening? My God. And it's I'm like just 19, so excited for you. It's also 1990s British, like, colloquialism, yeah. so it's, like, things I am not familiar with by 25 years and by 3,000 miles. It's very funny, but it's still, like, good, and it's, like, I like the... I like how what it's building towards, and like, I just like ah, it's pretty fun. It's fun. I like it. It's so good. That was my first ever Neil Gaiman novel that I ever read, and I've reread it so many times since I first read it. I love Good Omens, and I'm so excited for the new series. 
Yes. And that Neil Gaiman's writing it, and that Terry Pratchett gave Neil Gaiman like permission to write it just himself before he died. Yeah, because they were going to write it together. They were going to write it together, yeah. And um, they had vowed that they wouldn't write it without each other. And then Terry Pratchett passed away, but he gave Neil permission before he died. Yeah. And I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. And I love Crowley and Az, and they're so funny. <laughs> I just really love Good Omens, you guys. Enjoyed- I'm so excited you're reading it. I enjoyed Good Omens, but... I'm happy you're reading it too. <laughs> okay. I think I think HC's trying to say she didn't love it as much as you did. Yes. Well, but, but you know this. That's so. fair. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm liking it. It's mm-hmm. a little hard to read just because of the Britishness, Britishness, Britishism of it. But the Britishism is is quirky and fun though. It's yeah. quaint. <laughs> yeah, I always found American Gods a lot harder to read just because it's so much denser. See, I found it really easy to read. I was like, oh, I like this. Yeah, Good Omens was like a snap for me. Yeah, I do like the little, like, there, it'll be, like, straightforward, like, prose, and then it'll just be, like, a wink at the audience, and I'll be like, ha, I get it. It is fun. You yeah. can tell it's written by both of them. Yeah. It has both of their voices in there. Yeah, it's. I, I think the series is going to be really fun. I'm interested in the series, actually. I, I want to see how it translates to the big screen, or to the small screen, Yeah, rather. it's going to be Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All your favorite things are are taking, are being adapted on you. It's so, so all good. Her favorite Neil Gaiman things. Basically. <laughs> Basically. I already got Stardust, so. Yeah. Gotta keep going. All right. Um, so, my really like this week, I have seen a lot of movies. Um, I still am only halfway through this great movie weekend. I'm going to see Baby Driver today, and then I'm going to see Big The Big Sick Tuesday. Ah! I gotta see The Big Sick. I'm so excited. A lot of good movies. But my favorite movie. Uh, this weekend that I've seen, and probably one of my favorites of this year, is Okja. Um, it is... <laughs> that was anticlimactic for me. <laughs> oh, no, like, I knew it wasn't going to be the beguiled. You know I love Okja. I, I know, I know. It's the new movie by Bong Joon-ho, who directed Snowpiercer and The Host. He is a consistently great director who really knows how to just get to the heart of both the, the characters and the creatures in his film. And he always has some sort of interesting social commentary in it. Uh, Okja is kind of, is not that subtle about its social commentary. It's very like, corporate greed, bad, her, um, friendships between man and, and uh, creature, good. And it kind of, it doesn't really tread that line very subtly, but it's so fun. It's like a- It's about as subtle as a super pig. Exactly. <laughs> and as subtle as Jake Gyllenhaal's performance. Good lord, I wanted those to ask guys. You, I wanted to ask you what you thought about his performance, because it's been drawing a lot of, like, mixed re- I know some people who love it. I, love it. I actually really like his performance in the film, personally. It's mm-hmm. very but... in line with, like, the mood of the movie. You know what I like about it, actually? It's, it was really reflective of the Korean mindset that Bong Joon-ho brings into it. So when I was watching uh, Tilda Swinton's introduction and his introduction, it reminded me a lot of... Korean variety shows and even kind of like Japanese variety shows where they're very over the top they're playing like a character and it's really interesting because you know they're supposed to be like this sort of facade and like this image that they're both trying to build up and uh, they say like this isn't really me but they are in in essence kind of playing into their own facets of their personality um, but it's very it's over the top in the way that like Korean cinema and TV is so it fit for me and it's really interesting seeing it from a Western actor. That's why I really enjoyed it. It was like an interesting kind of um, sort of 
epitome of like that marriage of that Korean and American films that you're seeing in like Okja and in Snowpiercer. And I think we've seen that with we've obviously seen that with Tilda, Sw- Tilda Swinton before, mm-hmm. especially in Snowpiercer. Mm-hmm. But with Jake Gyllenhaal, he's never really played an outlandish character. No, he in his in his career. His closest is kind of Nightcrawler, but I was gonna say so. Nightcrawler, yeah. Nightcrawler, but that was also a deeply serious movie. Yes, and Okja is serious about its message, but not about the characters. Yeah, and there's it, a lot of like it has like, a sense of fun. Yeah, and he's he's a lot of fun, but also there's a darkness to him. There, there's a lot of maliciousness between all of like the fun that is going on in the film. Yes, um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't shy away from you know super pig farts or poop attacks or Paul Dano <laughs> or Paul well just Paul Dano Paul Dano is not yeah he's he's good Ugh. he's not outlandish but he's, he's like outlandish. he's definitely a presence he's like oh, there's Paul Dano oh, Paul Dano's great and Stephen um, Yen Stephen Yen is great I really like there's a really great article I read that accompanied it about um, how this film was a lot about communication mm-hmm. uh, you know the clash of cultures as well as that loss in translation um, element to it and um it's interesting because it's coming from a South Korean director who has worked with American actors before and who's doing an American Korean production. And I think it's interesting that it's both contextual and like metatextual of the film yeah. itself. And that's why I just I really like it. I'm really excited when I see these sort of um, uh, inter like country international productions that are done so well. I think Bong Joon Ho is the best direct the direct the director who's done that best of the ones who have attempted it. Um, I think because Snowpiercer was a good crossover hit. Yeah. It was a good crossover hit, but it also feels a little bit more American. This one feels distinctly like both Korean and American. He really marries those values really well. It's like a Korean's take on the American food culture yes, industry. I think, and, and it's, I like it a lot. And it's interesting, too, because Korea is a big meat-eating country, too. They love their meat, their barbecue. Um, you know, yeah. South Korean barbecue. Honey pig. And it's interesting that, you know, it's the, uh, it's the Korean girl who is like, very very anti... Oh, she's not even anti-meat. She just likes the... Ant- she's she's anti-against... She's anti-against what they're doing to Okja. Yeah, exactly. She's not completely baffled by, like, the slaughterhouse as much as she's just connected to her personal... Yeah, like, there's a moment where they just show so much, mm-hmm. and she only cares about Okja. Yeah. So, I... I love Okja. It's really good. It's so enjoyable. It, I didn't even mention this before, but it's just like a Studio Ghibli film, a Steven Spielberg film wrapped up into like this sto- steroid-induced uh, violence. And it's not <laughs> much of a satire as I thought it would be, but I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. Like I thought it was going to be more like Thank You for Smoking, mm. which was like very hardcore satire of the smoking no, industry. Yeah, Bong Joon Ho generally doesn't do satire. He de- he has like a more earnest take on a lot yeah. of his films. And I think from what I was seeing from the marketing, I thought it was going to be a little mm. bit more satirical. And I'm okay that it wasn't. Like, yeah. There's there's I just was like taken by how earnest it was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love the shades of Studio Ghibli films, Spirited Away, uh, Princess Mononoke, which also oh, is yeah. in line with like the environmental yeah. part of the film yes, as well. Yes, very much. Uh, yeah, Ocha. I love All it. right. It's like a Studio Ghibli took on the food industry. Yes. <laughs> so that is our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts on Edgar Wright or the Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett book, Good Omens, or Pixar and its foundation, or Ocha, definitely come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. 
You can f- listen to us on SoundCloud and rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at hchanbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye! Bye! Bye.